0: What's going on? Welcome to the Relationships Are Underrated podcast. I am one of your hosts, Trip Kramer. And I'm your other one of your hosts, Jonathan Asley. (laughs) Jonathan, what's going on, man? Oh,
1: man, it's been a while. Like, how many days? Too many days. It's not that many days. Every day apart from you feels like a long day. Let's just admit to everybody
0: that you and I are in our own little man-loving relationship.
1: <laughs> what do they call that?
0: A, a man crush? A bromance. A bromance. bromance.
1: We are in a bromance. Two and guys talking to, about relationships. To to it. <laughs> Two guys
0: talking about relationships. And uh, what are we talking about today? We're talking about money. I wish I had one of those little... Buttons I could press that would be like, cha-ching, a little sound effect.
1: (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. Can I get that on my phone real quick? If there
0: was, it would go, cha-ching. Yeah. The money talk that every couple needs to have. Money is one of the biggest causes of divorce. I
1: know. And isn't it interesting? Why do you think that is? Well, for a variety of different reasons. I think, uh, well, because... Money represents financial, I mean, security or safety. It represents being able to experience life. We no longer live in an environment where, you know, being a provider protector, even as an example, is based on how physically you can protect your mate. It's about how you can financially protect your mate or each other. And, And even when you're not mated, you need money to just, you know, pay the bills and things. I mean, there's, I mean, we could, we could. Talk about this for hours on end. According
0: to a law firm here that I I just Googled, they said that money arguments are the second leading cause of divorce behind infidelity. So That is according to a law firm that seems to deal with a lot of divorce. High levels of debt, it says, and poor communication lead to stress and anxiety when it comes to finances. Nearly half of couples with $50,000 or more in debt say money is their top reason for arguing. Nearly two-thirds of all marriages
1: start in debt. Wow. Interesting. Wow, yeah. that's fascinating. I didn't realize it was like that much, and it, yet it makes sense. You could have student loan debt. Well, now does a home count as debt? Well, I mean, because I, in my opinion,
0: I don't know. I don't, I mean, debt is debt but I think there's levels of debt. So I think the best level of debt, I guess you could have would be a home because that's an asset that's going to grow. Student loan debt, that's not really an asset. I mean, maybe it's created something for you and hopefully that did something for your job, but it's not necessarily making money today, at
1: least in a tangible
0: sense, like a home does.
1: And I, I don't have this statistic in front of me. I vaguely remember reading that roughly eighty percent of Americans don't have more than three months of savings in the bank. If let's say they lost their job or something happened. So think of the pressure that puts on you if you don't if you couldn't cover your bill. Like think of what happened with the pandemic. You know, so many people you know, lost their jobs or there was effectively a change in that circumstance. And, you know, I often wondered, how did they even survive? I, I'm thinking I like the many, restaurant people and such.
0: I wonder how many divorces came from that. I know that there was a lot of divorces and breakups, I heard, because of the pandemic, because people were starting to spend more time around each <laughs> other. And then I guess they were finding out faster about the infidelity that was going on.
1: Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, the, like... Oh, so being together more often allowed them to see that they were, oh, that's, I didn't hear that. Yeah, I heard that. That's kind of sad. Yeah, that's interesting, right? And then- I thought they just got tired of you. Well, you were, you know, you and Megan were pretty much 24-7 together for- We just moved in with each other. So I feel like we had a little
0: bit of a leg up there. It's like we were already excited to live with each other. Okay. So I feel like we were starting off on a better foot than maybe most people were. Another thing was related to that is the pandemic had couples spending more time together, so it inevitably brought out all of the issues faster. So okay. one of them being infidelity, and the others being who knows. And then what I was going to say, the money is, issue. Well, maybe it brought out the money issues, but it also double double time, right? So it brought out the money issues, but then the pandemic affected people on a money level. And I haven't heard anything about
1: this, but my theory is, is that that probably didn't help. Yeah. And coming back to the second leading cause of divorce, and, you know, this is why it's such an important topic to discuss money. And, and, and this really goes to really right from the beginning of when, you know, two people connect with each other. So I have a, not a confession, but I have a well, I want to share something that's personal about you because in your in your criteria of choosing a mate, there was even a money piece in this equation. There was. And I, are you open to sharing that Absolutely. with everybody? Yeah, when I okay. was when
0: I was looking for a partner, when I was looking for a relationship and to be even more specific, looking for a wife because I was ready yeah. to settle down and and start a family. I had three criteria, and one of them, or we'll call them non negotiables, and one of them was they couldn't be in more than $2,000 in credit card (laughs) debt. And I'm glad you mentioned this because this is going back to what we were saying earlier. There's different levels of debt, right? It's like, oh, someone has a home, it's technically debt, but it's an asset, so that's not so bad. Student loans, uh, not so good, but. At least I know that's we know that's something you can. Well, it was an investment in themselves. You know, it was an investment in themselves. I guess I don't don't know. That's a whole other conversation. And then the third level of debt would be credit
1: card debt, and that's the worst kind of debt. So that's kind of interesting because when I got married, or before I got married, I found out my wife, and this is in 1992, was twenty thousand dollars in credit card debt, like. Holy like this is 1992.
0: Okay, let's do some research so, here. So, what 000? would that be
1: equivalent today? So, twenty two thousand.
0: No, twenty thousand. Oh, okay. 20, oh, 1992. Okay, twenty thousand yeah. in 1992 is equivalent in purchasing power to forty thousand dollars today. So, okay. basically, now some of
1: that was some of that was student loan, and and well, how much of it was credit card? I was. I think it was. 90 percent credit card, and the rest was student oh, loan. No, like it was a couple. This was your act. yeah, and I end up taking that on, you know, because we end up moving in together, and actually that was able to help speed up the process of paying it off much quicker. So there was a kind of a, a benefit for the two of us. But I, I took it on, and well, you had no choice. It. That's what marriage is. You have to, you guys. Well, I wasn't. Ma- no, the, I knew this in the dating process, though. I knew uh-huh. this ahead of time. And it should have been a red flag for how we end up getting divorced anyway. <laughs> Not that money was the issue per se, but it certainly became an issue going through a divorce. Well, let me because ask you then, this. That 20000 yeah. equivalent to 40000 today, you knew
0: about it. You got married. It didn't have any effect on your marriage at all, the money portion.
1: I was doing really well financially and I was kind of like, you know, like I was, you know, this is the thing that was going on. I was so high on getting married and we're in love and just everything would magically work out. I was in such a a fantasy about relationships in general and I was actually rather clueless at even being a good husband other than what I've shared in previous podcasts, you know, like my, my mindset was be the provider protector and that's all I thought about. So you paid off that 20000 Pretty much. Our combined resources allowed for that to get paid off pretty quickly. Got it.
0: Wow. Yeah, yeah see, I did not want to be in a relationship with anyone who had more than $2,000 in credit card debt. I said credit card debt because if they had any other debt, that's that was fine to me. Yeah, the, the house or, card or debt, student By the way, did Megan have any debt? (laughs) No, she didn't. She didn't have a credit card.
1: Oh, that's...
0: (laughs) So so there's no debt if there's no credit card. That could be another red flag,
1: but no, it's fine. (laughs) So So let's talk about money and relationships and couples and why it's important to have these conversations. So I was listening to a therapist... Last weekend, who I think he's out of South Carolina, I'll, I think it's Daniel Combs, and I could be mistaken, so I apologize. His area of specialty is to help couples to have the conversation to talk about money. And first, he said to really get a sense of money is to understand someone's money history. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And what he mean is how you were raised, like, what was your first memory about money in your childhood to get a sense of what that means to you. And as I was listening, I'd like to share with you what came up for me. And that was my first memory of money was when my dad kind of lost his job and he had to take a second job. When I say kind of lost his job, there was a kind of a shift happening. He had to take a second job and my mother then took a job. To make ends meet. And so my first kind of memory around money was my dad was the provider protector. And then when there was a problem, my mom jumped in to be a partner in this. And it's interesting how that's formed me as an adult, how I look at relationship, you know, as a couple of the importance that your partner is also a contributor in this process, because that's my money history. Interesting. I can't remember. You didn't know and that about I did me, know did that you? About you? And does that now kind of yes, make sense? Now what it's I talk all about is it. Been dating.
0: It's all coming together. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a. Me- I don't know my first memory with the money. I remember having my own checking account that my mom opened up for me, and I remember I had a hundred dollars in there, and it was. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's actually, my my first actual memory of my own money was a savings account. It was By the way, we used to get little passbooks yes. and they hand wrote how much yeah. you deposited. I did. Did you have that?
0: Yeah, because I no. was a kid. I was like, it was like early 90s. So it was still okay. the checkbook. I was and then in, you this is in the 70s checkbook. for me. I remember when you would add, you'd, yeah, you'd add money into the savings account, write it down. Anyway, so
1: I don't know. That's my... I'm trying to think of my so, first. But what about from a relationship standpoint? But that's your own individual money. What about your parents?
0: Um, because I think I remember. Did they have an each?
1: It was like
0: we were not. We were not rich. I say this to my parents yeah. all the time. I, I'm very grateful. We were not rich, but I feel like I got most of the things I wanted. I'm of course not everything. You know, but the things that I yeah. wanted mostly, I got the toys and the clothes that I wanted when I was in high school and things like that. But I do remember that I do remember getting a lot of no's from my dad when it's like, "Oh, I want this," and he'd say, "No, no, no. You know, we can't afford it. We can't afford it." So there was a lot of times when I felt that money was not a free flowing thing inside of the family, and everything I got that
1: I did want, if I got it. Was like a treat. So, mm. oh, so that kind of is interesting because you treat yourself quite a bit in your own life, like you buy I nicer do. things. You know, so I, so maybe this came from. But that I save script. too. I I do
0: it all. I do it all. Yeah, I'm not an ultra saver because I I do treat myself, yeah. but I don't buy a bunch of stuff or go on
1: shopping sprees so let me rewind for a second because my parents were of that depression era they were like they were children during the depression so their mindset amount money was sacrifice for the children kind of thing so that was also an imprint i had you know with my parents so all of these kind of weave in how your parents Were raised with money and how that might have been, and then how that's going to come into the relationship
0: and how it's going to affect the relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's interesting. That's interesting. You know. So please go ahead. Well, I I was just thinking about money in the relationship, and I'm trying to analyze why it causes so many problems. And of course, and you mentioned this earlier, so it's a little repetitive here, but it is the thing that. Keeps the relationship going because it's survival, right? So on some level, keeps the lights on. Yeah, keeps so the to lights speak. on. It keeps the bellies <laughs> fed. It keeps you moving forward. Yeah. And I believe that once you are past the honeymoon phase in a relationship, and and you're married and you have kids, money becomes more and more of a concern every month and every year that the relationship develops. And continues and prospers. Money becomes more important because you need more money to do the things you want. I just, I have a theory, I haven't read anything about this, that I bet you it's a very high percentage of couples that have been divorced because of money, probably have kids. I can't really imagine too many situations where it's a dink, you know, double income, no kids, where it's a dink couple who don't have kids and both are working, I can't imagine that money would be the cause of
1: divorce for that situation. (laughs) Or at least often. Well, I think when there's an imbalance on the money, That's where it typically can happen. So I think a lot of angst, because think about this for a moment, I'm going to make up these numbers for argument's sake. You make a quarter million dollars a year. Your partner makes 50,000 a year. So collectively, that's 300,000. Wow, that's a lot of money. But the person who makes 250,000 might say, well, I should have more control over the say of not just the money, the relationship itself. Uh, be more specific. In what way would they control? So, like, I, you know, I don't feel like going out to that dinner party we're going to go to. and Because I make more money. I just don't feel like going. I'm just going to be. I, this is my say. Like, I think money can turn into a very controlling dynamic within a relationship for the person who makes or has. Now, let's. Most. I want to. dive. This is great. I want to dive deeper into
0: that. Because. Why would, in this hypothetical situation, why do we think that person feels more entitled or more controlling? And my reasoning or theory behind that would be because they feel like they're adding more value to the relationship. So In Mm -hmm. some cases, I might not blame that person, woman or man. In the relationship, who's making more money and feels a little bit more entitled if the other person isn't adding their weight into the relationship?
1: So, all right, I'm going to be argumentative here. How do you quantify that weight? You know, I mean, and let's use a reverse. Let's use the reverse. The woman is the one who makes the most. Or Why has did the you start with saying and not reverse the man, for argument's sake? Well, because I know no, you're I going mean, to go down a different path, and I want to play well, with this one. I'm not assuming because, anything. I think because you know what—that's a traditional role that's been throughout history, and those roles are changing. Not roles, but circumstances are changing now women now are in an empowerment role there is many cases where women are actually the primary breadwinner in the relationship and i only wanted to change the narrative and I, we can go back to the other side because it's been such a tradition for so long that men were the primary breadwinners and women were the Yeah
0: okay buyers. so you're asked so what's your question here
1: Well okay, let's okay, we flip the roles. roles so now it's the so woman who making has the most you know
0: he's making 50 and the guy Fifty, yeah. And what does he bring so for value? what's going to happen is in that situation, so most women want to be dating or married to someone who makes the same or more or sees in the guy the potential to make more. So this is a very rare circumstance. We can go down the path. That's fine. But it's a rare...
1: All right, let's make it make it two hundred, and he makes a hundred. So that's not yep. a. By the way, eighty percent of Americans make Again, less than a circumstance that so. That's going to happen because most women will not be dating or wanting to be with. Well, I was in a relationship with a woman who inherited a substantial amount. And look how that worked out. And her investments. Out. Ex- well. This is where this is where relationship so, problems yeah. can occur, and the question is, yeah, how do you so solve how, it?
0: That's a good question. I don't know if I have an answer for that. How can a man add more value to a relationship? Uh, well, if they have kids, he should probably be doing more housework and work with the kids. I can't. I don't know any other way of bringing value to a relationship than helping out with housework or helping out with errands or helping out with that to provide more value to the woman in this case uh, in her life so she can work and so she can keep on making the money she's making.
1: Okay, those are with the kids. What
0: about the no kids one? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I'm not sure how a man can can add (laughs) value
1: to that relationship. Um, And I think that... that But it's interesting because I bet you can... Well, I'm challenging you well, because and it I sounds think, like you can turn it around the other way. I think that there's, well,
0: I mean, I, I kind of gave the answer. It's like, well, you know, same thing. Value in housework, value in and doing things for the home. Um, I don't know, maybe planning more activities. This person isn't giving their weight financially. So something else has to give, See, I the don't, problem, and I think this is one of the reasons why women will end up not being with a guy that long, who's making less than them. And a guy also might not want to be in a relationship like that because he's going to feel emasculated because he can't contribute to the relationship
1: financially. So it's a, it's well, a, it's, a, tu- it's and a tough I, spot And to I be suspect, in. okay, I'm going to unpack this even more. This is why this causes divorces because people don't, I suspect, people don't even know how to quantify value. And then it becomes a difference of opinion what value is, what they bring to the table. And then, alt- because this is, you know, this is a really uncomfortable subject, number one. It's kind of, it feels like a judgmental subject or egoic subject, egoic number subject. two. what does that mean? And number three, well... How is money an egoic subject? What? So, how I bring value to the relationship? That feels like that's not love. That feels like ego. No, that's the practical side
0: of relationships because relationships are not just about love and loving feelings. That's only one part. The second you get married, it's, or even get into a deep relationship with someone, it becomes more than love. It becomes partnership. And yes, you need love there. And I hope there is, but also a love is going to come out of the partnership and the practical situations where you guys are trying to start and continue a life together.
1: So, and money, and money is a big part of that, which is why we're, we're, this is the topic, right? So, yeah. And by the way, we're talking, in some ways, we're talking about new couples. What about my demographic? You know, those who have been married before and then they're dealing with alimony and child support. Well, again, I don't even want to separate. I don't like
0: separating too much into, oh, they're in their 40s and 50s versus their 20s and 30s. Yes, you're correct. The people who are in their midlife and after have a little bit more of a complicated situation with money. But when we're talking about value, so let's talk about that for a second. So so bringing okay. value to the relationship how do you quantify it sometimes you can't quantify it so what needs to happen is two people have to get into who are in a relationship should have the conversation about what kind of relationship they want to have and who wants to pay the bills who wants to pay a majority of the bills are you splitting things equally who's adding to this because if and I'm not going to put a gender on this. If person A is making three hundred thousand and person B is making fifty thousand, well, the person B who's making fifty thousand can only contribute so much to the lifestyle and to the rent slash mortgage. So the conversation needs to be had. Well, what can that person bring to the table? And if the person who's making more is like, "No, don't worry about it. It's fine," that person might eventually get resentful that they are able to fund so much for the relationship and person B who's making fifty thousand really is just not adding anything else. So the conversation needs to come into play about well, how would that person like to add more value? How would you how do both people see themselves coming together to formulate a relationship where they're in theory would be no resentment, and there would be a strong relationship where people have different roles doing what they yeah. need to do to survive. And that can
1: be up to the couple to figure that out. So your key word that I, I wanted to touch upon is a conversation. I know what you're going to
0: say. I know what you're going to say.
1: Is that conversation? Oh, okay, was what were you going to say? <laughs> no, I thought you were going to say. No, it. tell me what
0: you're going to say. I thought you were going to say. What? I don't want to tell you. Tell me. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you. Um, roles I thought you were going to no, say. That no,
1: no. I was what I what I appreciated so what you said. But no. And, but, well, and let's I want to talk yeah, about that continue. for a second, but it's a conversation and it's real I think what's most important I'd like to impart today is the importance this is if 50% of divorces cite money as the problem, then this better be a very important conversation before you ever really become coupled. And, and when you're in couplehood, because going back to the book we reference frequently, Eight Dates by Doctors John and Julie Gottman, you know, work and money is one of the most critical conversations that couples should be talking about on a regular basis. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so I
0: want to talk about my relationship. Okay. And what I've done. Again, this is not what everyone has to do or should do. I'm not shooting anybody. I just want to give an example to to people listening to hear about one example. So okay. the example here is that so I went to Megan, who was very stressed out with work, like a year and a half ago, and I said, Megan, here's the relationship I'm looking for, and you let me know if this lines up with you. I said I'm looking for a relationship where I will be the breadwinner and I will take care of everything financially so you don't have to worry about money. I'll take on all the burden of the finances, I'll take on all the burden of the money, I'll take on all the burden of our future with anything and every little thing financially related. I'd say and then in that case, you now not having to worry about finances or money anymore, you can do other things that can help support the family. I put in air quotes because we're not a family yet. We're just getting married in a couple months. But you'll be supporting the family doing other things so that you feel like you're contributing. And when you contribute more, this ends up helping me because I can then make more money for the family and we both benefit from it. And then I said to her is whatever you need, I will pay for whatever you want, I will pay for, of course, to a degree, but I know she's not the one who. <laughs> By the way, I heard whatever and I'm like, whoa, you're right. making a big, oh, I want, buddy, you are I making a three, big mistake. <laughs> I want three Gucci bags. No, but she's a reasonable person and she's not an overspender and she is she is good with money. And I made sure to vet for that because she did not have any debt when we met. And, and so, yeah, of course, listen, everything's a risk, right? But I told her, I said, I'll provide you with everything that you need and, of course, the things that you want and, You'll be very happy. Yeah. And you can add value by helping out with the things that I won't have time for since I'm building a business. You can work on the house stuff, the chores, the errands, you know, dropping things off, picking things up. You can, hold on, you can work on making sure that the dinner's made and food's in the house and all that stuff. And so it is more of the traditional gender role type, but I didn't really say it to her like that. It's like, and but of course she heard that and she said, Oh wow, this seems so traditional. I'm like, Yeah, sure. Yeah. If you want to label it that and and I get it, that's the way it is. But that's I'm like, how do you feel about that? Would that seem good to you? Does that seem like a life you'd want to live? And we had many conversations over it, and she came to the conclusion that she does want to do that and did want to do that. And so that's the thing that we've been doing now for a year, and so far it's working out really well.
1: Well, and again, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment because it's still the fledgling part. I know part. what you're going to say. <laughs> now, I'm, all I right. I know what you're going to say. Well, I think you're I, wrong. I know.
0: I have a keyword that I know you're going to Okay. Wrong.
1: I think. All right. So let's it's say, a, for example. It starts exa-
0: with an R. What? Roles? You're going to talk no, about No, I'm
1: not going to talk about roles. By the way. No, I, not roles. What? Not Risk. roles
0: is another word. Risk. Okay, I guess I'm wrong. No, it was resentment. But Well, no way, well, thinking- well,
1: where, I, well where I was going to go here is, and by the way, my mother and father were the exact, I mean, my dad was the breadwinner. My mom was the homemaker. That was tradition. And that was their entire life. Now, here where I was going, because this is what happened in my marriage. You know, she wanted more things. And then I was like, well, we can't afford that. Or we can't do this. Or I became, because I was the one in charge of how we spent the money. Kind of thing. And then there was resentment that came up, or there was friction that came up. By the way, and then I found out later she was spending money behind my back and credit card debt was going up that I didn't see. So these are the things you haven't experienced yet. And yet I suspect many people who are listening right now are in circumstances like this. And I bet that they're in
0: circumstances like that because they didn't have the types of conversations that. People should be having around money regularly. Yes, not just having the conversation. Because I well, want... yeah, and even the conversations I had with Megan, it wasn't like one and done. We had multiple conversations about it, and we still have conversations about it. But it's not as frequent, but it still comes up. I let her know what's going on. I tell her everything. I said this is how much we have saved, and this is what a retirement looks like, and I keep her in the loop of everything. And so and yeah, but you're right. Now you like, again, it's a risk because you might end up with, and we'll we'll say whoever is making more money so we won't assign a gender to it you might end up with a person who's a shitty person yeah controlling might do that yeah yeah no no controlling or abusive controlling. yeah one or the yeah, other both. controlling both. or abusive well, either controlling or the who is the person with a lot of money, or the other person who feels all this resentment, so starts spending money behind? The Sorry, I shouldn't have said abusive, doing... but
1: I meant they abuse the privilege, if you will, is where I meant. Right, and um, then you know, so so yeah, of course, listen, but that's that's the risk. So of I've got something for you, Trip. I spoke to a woman recently on a dating app, and you know what's interesting? She shared with me. She shared how she was looking for someone, she's in her late 50s and she's looking for someone to financially take care of her because in her marriage, she never paid a bill. She was the homemaker. She never paid a bill. She didn't make any money. She didn't have any skills. And all of a sudden she finds herself going divorced with almost no money in the bank. And she's like, I may need a man just to take care of me financially. Like she was like going back to the old traditional Roles that sounds like she needs to get a job. Well, she has a job, but I mean, it was like all of a sudden she found herself because she was naive... To the money conversation and the roles going on, she didn't expect she was going to find herself divorced, having to start all over again at age. Why didn't she get money from the divorce? I don't think there was any. I think there was a financial loss. Maybe it was COVID. I I don't know the particulars, but there was almost no money to be, like in other words, there were no that many assets to be, you know. Yeah, I mean, listen, listen, and this is real. This is real. I understand. High risk, high reward. So on the person's
0: end, so let's say in this case, like Megan's end, or in a traditional relationship, yeah, for the female, high risk, high reward. Uh, yeah, that's how that's how life is. If you're gonna say, if you're gonna agree to that and say yes, I d- okay, I'll go. She didn't know it was high risk. K- well, that's on her. I don't like playing. I don't like anyone playing victim here. Okay, that's on her. It is a high risk. You should know that going into that because again, high risk, high rewards. The reward is, this is great. I get to do things for the family. I don't have to think about money. Fantastic. That seems like a, I don't know, I would imagine to some people who would agree to it, would would say that's a great life. But the risk is that, yeah, that could happen. That could happen. But then again, that's fine. You don't have, a woman doesn't have to, or a guy doesn't have to do that agreement. They can do the other thing. They can go in where everyone's making equal money and putting in equal effort and doing that kind of relationship that's totally fine.
1: So it's it's up to that person. No one's being forced here. Let me jump in because when you say high risk high reward, I got married completely unconscious and so did my ex-spouse. We're naive to all these things. Now, I take ownership on my part, you know, whether or not she takes ownership on her part. I think many people in their 20s and you know, 20s in particular, are rather naive because it isn't until you've experienced, you know, good judgment oftentimes comes from bad judgment. You know, you have to experience the bad before you recognize, oh, wait, that was a high risk. You know, I didn't realize what I was getting into and think about how many people aren't compatible with one another just in general. So, And and I'll just say,
0: sorry to interrupt, but I think you're going to like this. And that's why we... Have this podcast is to open up the minds of people to be thinking about this and another thing Jonathan and we we don't talk about this too much but I'll say this to you is is stop going into relationships thinking it's all about love
1: oh Uh,
0: yes I'm in full agreement on that if you're just thinking about love you're in big trouble (laughs) because like I said earlier the honeymoon phase wanes and you guys have to create a partnership eventually, if that's what you're looking for. If you're looking for a a partnership to live together and get married or maybe have kids, this stuff is going to come up. So you got to be really aware of it, man or woman, going into the relationship.
1: You know, it's interesting. When I began my professional career as a dating and relationship coach, I actually was remembering sitting in divorce court. And I was actually listening to multiple couples share the reason why they were going through divorce. And it occurred to me, what if you can reverse engineer this? Like actually, like when you sit in divorce court and you hear all the problems, you can go, "Okay, let me avoid all these problems before they ever become a problem. And it's a dose of reality. Like instead of going to church on a Sunday. Go on a Friday and spend an entire day in divorce court or family court, because that will wake you up to the real mechanics of a relationship. By pointing out all the bad, you can actually prepare yourself to not fall into the pitfalls or the the potholes, excuse me, it was actually the way I started my business. <laughs> oh, that's wait, what was the way you started? Your well, business? literally thinking if these are all the reasons why people get divorced, well, then kind of start from the beginning of understanding all the potholes and rather going naively, oh, love will just solve everything because love is just magic fairy dust that can solve everything in a relationship. (laughs) I'm being... I'm with you 100%. That's
0: a great tip. Go to a divorce court and see what it's all about. It's actually
1: family court, I should clarify. I said divorce oh, court, but it's oh, called family, family court. court. Well, from a technical perspective. And if you get there at eight in the morning and spend an entire day like I did once, <laughs> you will just, your mind will explode. And the infighting that goes on and the reason for the infighting is fascinating. It's like really a dose of reality. Wow,
0: yeah. interesting.
1: You and Megan are I gonna do it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, there, here's no. I'm thing. kidding.
0: I'm kidding. No, I know. But you make a good point. I think it's also another idea is just to look at the top reasons for divorce. This is probably another episode we can do, Jonathan, is talk yeah. about divorce. But look at the top reasons. And we'll tell you right now, we know that money is one of them. I just read that infidelity is it's actually another one. It's so actually, so.
1: by the way, I think it's not it's infidelity is a byproduct of a lack of emotional intimacy. It's usually emotional intimacy and emotional disconnect that causes the infidelity. So that's the real root like of the infidelity. And I think we should definitely have like several podcasts talking about that in much greater detail.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. That's good because that is a little bit more on the same wavelength as saying money, because money is the root. And what you're saying there is emotional. what Would you say emotional dis
1: emotional connection? intimacy? There's usually an emotional disconnect. I was actually watching a short TikTok video that gave the five reasons why men cheat. And if every if you boiled it down to they don't feel connected to their partner. They don't feel loved by their partner. They don't feel respected by their partner. These are all the reasons that cause the in- to go seek it elsewhere. And money problems, I believe, really stem from an unconscious conversation about money. First, understanding someone's money history, like how were they raised? And, you know, like what I shared earlier about my own experience around money and what this therapist said was understanding what's known as financial empathy, which I thought was interesting. And I and I only briefly heard this podcast, but understanding from a place of, empathy and not expectation going back to you know really coming at it from a place of like I expect this from my partner no let's come at it from a place of compassion for one another when it comes to money
0: I like that and and I think another thing to add into that is how people view money what is money and I, I think I'm sure this is one of the questions in that book in the eight dates book but what does money symbolize to you because money doesn't symbolize the same thing to every person. Well, let's do every it. Let's do this for each other, money right? In now. a different way.
1: Let's do it with each other, right?
0: Okay. Now. You go first. <laughs> okay. Who wants to go first? You go first. Okay. I'll go first. All right. So, what does money mean to me? Money means freedom. Okay. Money means uh, when I say freedom, I mean. It's the freedom to do the things that you want to do. In my case, money is freedom to do a podcast like this. Yeah. If I didn't have enough money, my time would be needed to spend doing other things. So, money to me is the freedom to continue to do the things that I love and want, which is for this example, doing a relationship podcast and then also being a dating coach for men. Yeah. So it allows me to do the
1: things that I love to do. It's interesting. So I'm such a byproduct of being that baby boomer, my parents of that depression era. Money represents security. Like it's like to me, it represents security, safety. So, you know, can I pay the bills? Can I? You know, will I have enough to retire on? You know, that's kind of what money means to me. And it's only in the last few years after going through a divorce. Well, I've been divorced now. I mean, 17 years, but not being in a relationship the last few years and my business really taking off, have I been in a position where money is little feels a little more like freedom. But growing up, no, it was all about like you had to save you had to basically It was scarcity mentality, even though I have a generous nature and I like to be generous and flamboyant at the same time. It was always because I also became irresponsible with money and I got wiped out in the market crash of 2008. So I had this this script around money is fear. Go ahead so money's evolved for you
0: Jonathan and I, and I think it's evolved for me too but, but just based on your what you're saying here money I feel has evolved for you it's a, well, the meaning of money well
1: it's weird because what I was raised with and I was my parents were like you they just gave me enough to take care of me but it wasn't like you know if I wanted a brand new bicycle every year it was like no you you have a good one here kind of thing. And then, then I made a lot of money in, you know, in sales and I got married and we lived an affluent lifestyle and then I got divorced and got wiped out at the same time. So then I went into scarcity mode around money and then I was reinventing myself. So I have a really fucked up relationship with money because of all my experiences. You had had trauma. I think you had trauma in
0: your adult years around money with the divorce and the crash. Yeah.
1: And And, losing my job. that was my identity because oh, my job... And losing your job. Yeah. And this is... By the way... And... Go ahead. Oh, I want... And
0: <laughs> you you started a business. And I think any entrepreneur, if there's any entrepreneurs listening right now, yeah. you know that money is... It's scary, right? Because it's like scary in the sense where you're trying to make your own living. Yeah. You're trying to produce... Yeah produce your own money with whatever value you're giving to the world and that doesn't happen right off the bat so you're you're gonna be really tight for a while and that starts to transform your mind to go into a little bit of scarce mentality without
1: even trying so one of the reasons why i became an entrepreneur is because my job or excuse me my boss decided to let me go my quarter million dollar a year job and at that time I was going through a divorce. I was so emotionally depressed. And then the market crash. Like I recognized that I didn't want to put my faith in someone else's hands for my financial livelihood. Now, the minute I took it on on my own, talk about being scared about money and to be in scarcity around money and everything. So, And you and I have known each other for almost a decade, so maybe you have a better understanding of why I have such a fucked up relationship when it comes to dating and money. <laughs> no, you know, totally, why I totally. act this way. It's not because I, want- I don't care, it's because I've had trauma
0: no that's that's a good point and i want to reiterate like why are we talking about this yeah. like you're talking about all your money stuff i'm talking about my money stuff yeah. i think this is an example of what a couple should be doing by the right? way like this imagine we're a couple this is how we're talking about money so
1: we can understand how each other feels about it going back to the family court i will tell you i listened to eight different couples I think six of them was all about money. And it was like, and it was very hostile of a conversation. And the judge is kind of like, he's scratching his head, like, who do I believe in everything? You know, like, who do I? he's trying to figure out all the nuances. And the, the attorneys were jumping in. And my point of sound, I don't want to sound like an alarmist, but this is our conversation right here is the kind of conversation couples should be having, I believe. To get a better understanding of where the person came from in childhood, came from in adulthood, and how they show up today. Yes,
0: I like that. So I like that for me, I didn't have as <laughs> as traumatic of an experience as you in adulthood. See, I was working in the entertainment industry, yeah. already making peanuts. Yeah, and so going from that to then getting on unemployment to then start my business trip advice. Yeah, I mean, I was already making like no money, so going down even more money, it wasn't that big of a jump. So yeah, it made life harder for sure and a little bit more tight, but I was already used to this lifestyle of not spending a lot of money, so it wasn't as traumatic for me, but I just continued to be the tight person that I was in those years where
1: I was making no money. So are you open to sharing one of your first relationships and how that dynamic was a little different?
0: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, but I'm curious what your take is on it. Well, how about she, you just tell this story? Well,
1: the way I remember when I first met you, you were in a relationship with a woman who made more money than you. In fact, you were just starting your business. And I suspect, and I don't know this, I'm just making a supposition, that you know, there might have been some contention in the relationship because of money. And you were younger than well, you. you were kind of naive. So, did you guys really have good money conversations? No,
0: no, we didn't have yeah. any
1: any money. I mean, yeah, we. Well, she about money, money. But she had money.
0: She had money because she made it. But no, we didn't have we had, didn't have money conversations in terms of the relationship. Ah. You know, so uh, one thing that I found out about her that I didn't like. This is just my own thing. Yeah. is She made. God, this is going to sound judgmental, but we'll we'll I'll just be honest. This is what I felt. Yeah. I felt and maybe still feel that I didn't like how she made money and she was so like uber frugal. Okay. And I don't mean just like she wasn't spending it on me. I mean that she wasn't spending it even on herself and I'm thinking like you have what are you doing with all of that? Like you're still trying to do. But as I'm saying this out loud, yeah as to not be a judgmental person, I know from knowing her that a lot of that came from her childhood yeah. and the way that she was raised. Yeah. And also she was an, she is an entrepreneur. So I don't blame her now. I'm, look at this healing we're doing Aww. live here on the call. Yeah, no, she was probably that way because of her past and also because she's an entrepreneur. And like I said earlier, when you're an entrepreneur, it's... You know, you feel like any day everything could just go to hell and, and so you might be tight, you know? And so you need like years and years and years of like proof to know, oh wait, things won't go to hell. I can stop being so frugal. But at that time, it, it did it, it. bothered me about her as a personality trait. I didn't like that. It's not the reason why we broke up, no. but it didn't help.
1: Well, and I was in a relationship with someone who inherited a significant amount, and there was a interesting dynamic because she was both... Oh, can
0: you, can you give more... De- it's very interesting. Can you give a little more detail on it? Like how not much? say who she is. No,
1: but it was big... Like, well, yeah, seven it's, it's figures. Or, wait, wait. Wait, how many? Is it eight figures? Wait a minute. I forget where the zeros lie. Six figures, seven figures? No, it's almost an eight figure net worth. You know? Seven? You know, and yeah, that's a that's lot a of lot. money. That's like and 10 there was a real plus. interesting dynamic between us that was an imbalance. And she came from that. Her parents were of the depression era. So there was a scarcity mentality and she had an interesting, she had her own interesting relationship around money. And the irony was we saw each other this past weekend and we actually talked about this. I no way. I swear to God, right before, well, It's kind of an. why I see I've got to be careful because I don't want to betray a trust here. But there was just an interesting dynamic because she both had a scarcity mentality and then she was very generous. It was this weird duality, maybe because she's a Gemini. Uh, (laughs) She was. She was very generous. She was very generous. Yeah. And at the same time, if she forgot a two dollar coupon, she would drive, spend more gas money to get a coupon to go back to BevMo, you know, because there was a mindset there. That goes back to her childhood around money. So I remember she was always treating me. I
0: didn't see the money stuff that you had to tell well, it to me. So I saw the other. Yeah,
1: and, and and in all fairness, and by the way, you know, when we ended our relationship, I mean, I, she did one of the most beautiful for my birthday gift. This was weeks after our breakup. She paid for my Hoffman process, which is a. By the way, folks, if you haven't looked up Hoffman process, it's a great. Deep Dive into Healing Childhood Wounds and Traumas, and that was like 4000 bucks. So very generous. That's... Yeah. So there was, but there was this interesting duality, and we had a conversation about that this weekend, interestingly enough, because I was reevaluating for myself, what does it mean to be a man in particular around being a provider protector? And I've been going through a lot of revisiting and resurfacing some old belief systems. And I will tell you, I've decided now... I'm going to write my own new script. I'm going to let go of my past script. All the garbage I have around money and rewrite a new script going forward. I love it. I
0: love it. I I have I think in the past couple of years rewritten my script on it. Yeah. And in the past couple of years, Jonathan, I have come into an abundance. Yeah. Into an abundance mindset where I now really believe that I can produce value and do things that I need to do for the rest of my life that will provide money to come into my life. So I feel less frugal, but at the same time hedging my bet with, with saving for yeah. retirement and all that. But, so, but into a more of a scarcity,
1: uh, into more of an abundant abundance mindset mentality.
0: versus a scarcity. It took many years to get to that, Yeah, moment,
1: many years. So. Something occurred to me, and this would be a good place to you know get wrapping up. I think where couples have their greatest friction and frustration is centered around unmet expectations, in particular around money. And and what that what I mean is a friend of mine once said expectations is the mother of disaster and desperation is her twin sister. And in other words, where the money conversation where the friction usually lies is when we expect something from someone else, in particular in the area of money, and it's never been agreed upon. And what I love about coming back to John Gottman and Julie Gottman's work, it's all about having conversations, coming up with agreements and not coming from a place of, you know, criticism, contempt or expectations is really having the harder conversations. Setting the expectations. Setting the expectations. Well, I say setting I the agreements because it's not about an expectation. It's about what are we going to agree on with everything that relates to money? Okay. I don't like That's a nice the- word. Expectation has, again, the word, I expect this. And what if the other person doesn't agree to it? Then it's an expectation and that's a disaster. Well, maybe it's
0: agreements and expectations.
1: Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> tomato, to- tomato, tomato. Tomato. tomato but- I, I,
0: I hear you. I hear you. No, that's great. Well, what do you think this of this is, uh, conversation, Trip? Yeah, it's been a great conversation. I know it's going to come up a lot more. Money yeah. is uh, is a big one, and I hope that today people got an idea of of how to think about money for themselves, and then ways to communicate that to their current or future partner, and to understand to not take it lightly because money is the thing that. Keeps you alive, and I like to say this from a famous and not very well-known copywriter, he, John Carlton. He once said, and I live by this. And this is a positive way to look at money. Yeah. Here's the quote: "This is a positive way to look at money. Money solves problems that not having money causes."
1: <laughs> Interesting. I'm gonna I know it on took that. me a long time I have to, to understand noodle on it. that one. So. so
0: well, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Let me just explain that. Oh, for okay. Go, like, please. Hey, I want you to explain So, it. So money solves problems that not having money causes. So that means that there are things in life that can go to shit if you don't have enough money. It's not just about being super wealthy and seven figures in the bank, but money solves problems that when you don't have money and you don't have enough to... Do the things you need to do. It solves those problems. That so I look at money as also a way to, well, you can, it helps you go to the gym, buy weights, health. It gets you to a psychologist to pay for something like that. It pays for a nutritious food. It, it pays for uh, the the things that you want to do in your life, the hobbies, the things that make you fulfilled. All the different things where money can cause problems. It solves those problems. Hmm.
1: I want to noodle on that. So think
0: about in your life. Yeah.
1: Well, I think, think about in your life. I, it's interesting. Feel that it occurs. I shifted how I live my life. Not so much in the having of things or things making me feel good. Like, like you know, like as much as I want to get an eight thousand dollar watch, that's not going to make my life better per se. It just might make me feel good. But I also just now invested in a Pilates instructor because I want my health. I'm investing in eating organic food. So I've kind of rethought for myself. But I want to say something really quickly. We definitely need to do another podcast to talk about how to have these conversations in greater detail. So I want to put that out there.
0: Cool. I like that. Yeah. So you're going to say something. What were you going to say? Um, I just want to. Yeah, real quick to what you said. Retirement. Okay. Okay. So what happens when you don't have enough money to save for retirement? Then that's going to cause a lot of problem. That's just another example yeah. of all the problems that's going to cause for you when you're sixty plus years old. I'm moving to so Bali. Another example of money solving problems. <laughs> I'm
1: moving to Bali. Bali. That's Bali. my retirement plan. Bali. 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 Whatever. Tomato, 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 (laughs) tomato. (laughs)
0: Expectations, agreements.
1: No, but sometimes my retirement (laughs) plan is is to move to a place where lobster dinner is a dollar. That actually, and by the way, that's not necessarily a bad idea, (laughs) given how crazy it is here in the United States. I
0: support all of that. Oh, uh, yeah, with the gas prices, yeah, that's another problem that money solves. If you don't have enough money, that's going to be. you might, you might not need to go to the places that you need to go. So Anyway, I think we made our point. Okay. So Jonathan, this was a great episode. If you guys who are listening like this episode, we'd love five stars on Spotify, five stars on iTunes, leave a review. It helps spread the word of this podcast to open up the eyes and minds of everyone else who's interested in relationships, growing their relationships, having great relationships. And we thank you for listening. This is Trip Kramer signing off.
1: And this is Jonathan Asley signing off. Have a great day, everyone.